I wanted to tell you about a little adventure up the street. If you guys have ever gone to the Cincinnati Art Museum, I like to go there. And their latest exhibit, it actually ends today, so you still have a few hours if you'd like to go. This is the Terracotta Army. I don't know if you guys know anything about this. I didn't know a lot about it until we went, but I was kind of amazed at this display. Uh, these are life-size figures, and they'd been underground for a couple thousand years. So I was fascinated to stand up close and look at the detail that still survived. This guy's facial hair is pretty cool, isn't it? But I really like this archer. Apparently he was holding a bow and arrow at one point in time, but I like that he was kneeling down because I figured that probably was a bit more of a challenge to create. So he ended up being my favorite guy to look at for a while. So what happened is, in 246 BC, there was a guy named, I'm going to pronounce it very well here, Qin Shi Huang, who at age 13 became king of his state in China. So then he spent his entire life warring with all the other states so that he could gain control. So he became the first emperor of the unified China. It says he unified them, but in other words, he defeated them and took control. And he even made up the word emperor as his new title over this new country. But the interesting thing was, when he first took the throne at age 13, he commissioned all this artwork to begin. What was it for? It was to accompany him into the afterlife. 14,000 acres were built in order to bury him. It was grander than any of the houses in China. Apparently, the ceilings were painted like the starry heavens. And on the ground, they emulated the Chinese rivers and used mercury to make their paths along the ground. And you can see over here on the right, there's the terracotta pits. So that's where, um, in the back, terracotta army. That's where all of these uh, statues were found. So if you can see how many of them, they think there were up to 8,000 of these, and they haven't even been able to uncover them all yet because the ground is kind of shaky. So it took 38 years, and up to 700,000 different people worked on these. So can you imagine being, spending your whole life as an artist, and you're making these beautiful pieces, and no one's ever going to see it? I'm really glad that we found them now so that we can have a glimpse, but... I don't know, I just felt like, would that seem meaningless to your work? Or, or what about this guy? He, he was 13 years old, and people are already preparing for his death? What perspective does that give you? And so we want to look today, and I want to consider whether this attitude toward death, is it a healthy one or not? We're going to look in Ecclesiastes 7, if you want to begin turning there. We've been going through our series looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've called it Under the Sun because the author has been looking for meaning for his life under the sun. He's tried a lot of things, and he hasn't found his meaning yet. But today we're going to see that he's starting to get some answers to his questions. So we're going to begin by looking at verses 1 through 4, and I'll read it aloud, and it'll be on the screen too. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you were born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool 
thinks only about having a good time. I decided I'm going to use the sadness has a refining influence on us with Kaylin this week as school starts. But truly, look at this. Why so much focus on death? I mean, was the emperor right? It says that it's wise to think about death. Now let's consider the ways that death can affect us. For some people, maybe it weighs too heavily on us. If we think about death of ourselves or our loved ones, we could become overly worried, overly fearful, overly sad. But some people, they focus on heaven afterward. Have you ever heard of the saying, you're so heavenly focused, you're no earthly good? That's an old saying. But to think about, like, I'm so focused on what's next that I haven't paid attention to the here and now. Or another attitude could be, we think about eternity and that gives us comfort that we'll see our loved ones again. Or finally, we can see death as a motivation. If we're not promised tomorrow, then how are we going to live today? It seems this same attitude we can find in Psalm 90:12 teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So death, thinking about our limited days on earth, can bring us motivation to live better now. Now, the Chinese emperor, his motivation seemed to push him forward toward control. But I think that we can consider our death or the death of others and find some different motivation today. We're going to begin by looking at the rest of the chapter in light of this opening. Because it seems that if life is short, then the author of Ecclesiastes has come up with some different ways that he thinks he can live and we can live. We're going to begin by looking at a few scattered verses here because they all deal with the same topic of money. I'll read this for us. Extortion turns wise people into fools and bribes corrupt the heart. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Now, money isn't everything, and that's easy to say, but truly God gives us resources to help us and to help others. We can all think of a time when someone used their resources to give to us. So when we have opportunity, we should use our money wisely. And that's what I see this summary of this little section being. Life is short, so use your resources wisely. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. That is not wise. Now these, is a, these are a bit of scattered different pieces of advice. Um, as you can guess, starting something is easier than finishing it. I don't know if you've had a house project that comes to mind or maybe a work project, but it's a lot easier to begin the thing and have all this energy than finishing it. So commitment, that's what he's speaking about there. Patience and pride and anger, those seem self-explanatory, but they, they're good reminders for us. Um, and then finally, the good old days. What, what is that about? Well, sometimes people look back on life and it's easy to remember the good without the negative that came with it. And our past isn't always so rosy, but we can learn from it to make the future and the present better. So with this section, I see the author telling us that life is short, 
so give your best. The next section we have is verses 15 through 18. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness, the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, I understand not being wicked and not being a fool. That seems like obvious advice, but isn't it strange that he says don't be too righteous or too wise? Is that saying to go out and sin or stop learning? Probably not. But perhaps it's about the approach that you bring. Sometimes if we learn something or if we feel overly good, we show it, right? It becomes more of a pride issue. And in Romans 12, 3, it says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. I summarize that as, life is short, so don't be too high on your own drama. Next, we have a section that particularly hits me hard. Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you, for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. In this situation, it's a good reminder that there's times that we've, uh, we've thought something about ourselves or other people. And if you ever hear something negative about yourself, it hurts, right? Critiques are not great. But we've all thought something about somebody else, even in our minds, and we've probably said it out loud. So we just need to remember that life is short and we need to give each other grace. Because if someone's truly sorry, then we need to forgive. One last bit in this jump around bit of advice for ourselves is in verse 26. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. Her passion is a snare and her soft hands are chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her, but sinners will be caught in her snare. In this one, I see it as life is short, so spend time with people who make you better. There's always going to be people in our lives who are like a trap. We may not even notice but if you've ever been around someone and, and you realize, I'm not myself. They're not making me a better person. And if you ever have somebody come up to you and say, you know, this friendship is kind of bringing you down, I would encourage you to listen to them because it takes courage to say something like that. And it's good to just evaluate who we are and how we're reacting to people. And if there's some people that we spend a little bit more time with who are not making us our better selves, then maybe it's time to reevaluate our friendships. So, to summarize, we've got life is short, so use your resources wisely, give your best, don't be too high on your own drama, give each other grace, and spend time with people who make you better. Okay, now we get to my favorite verses. This is verses 13 through 14. Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. I like this section because it kind of reflects back at the beginning. Death versus life. Prosperity versus hard times. It seems that both of these are coming from the hand of God. So how do we deal with them? Well, sometimes life is crooked. 
and we imagine ourselves here at point A and we see our goal. We see the next thing we're looking for in life. And I can easily see the shortest, straightest way there. And so that's what we pray for, right? Maybe it's a, a job situation or a family situation. And we think, look, the answer is right here, God. But he rarely takes us on the straightest path. Things are crooked. We kind of meander. And we, at the time, might feel like a failure because this is not the way. This is not the goal and the vision we had for our lives. But have you ever noticed, it usually takes looking back, that sometimes the unexpected, the crooked paths have made us stronger. And in the same way, hard times and prosperity both come from God. So I'll have to admit that at times I can be a little pessimistic. And if things are going really well in life, I sometimes worry that something's just around the corner that's going to be bad. It's not a great way to live, is it? But I have to realize that both the ups and the downs are from God. And maybe my attitude should be, okay, well, when the bad times come, good is right around the corner. And the scripture that Seth read today, I like this modern take on a piece of it by Christine Kane. She says, God prunes us when he is about to take us into a new season of growth and expansion. And I really like that because when those hard times come, I've always loved that scripture of being a vine. And you know, it does take cutting back plants. I'm not a gardener, but those of you who are, it does take cutting back to grow again. And if you've seen that every year when we go out to our beautifully planted flowers that we just took over when we bought our house, there's these hydrangea bushes out front. And it says that you're supposed to clip everything off and pare it all down. And every time I'm afraid that I've killed it. But then when they bloom again in the spring, I realize, okay, I followed the instructions. The internet is great. And it's blooming again. But it's hard to see our lives that way, isn't it? I mean, when things go bad, I'm not sitting here thinking like, I'm a vine, this is great. But God can bring good. He can bring good. But here's the thing. All of this, all of this wrapping up today, it keeps going back to this overarching theme that these hard times, that funerals are better than parties. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around it, you know? I'm working on this sermon, and I'm like, this makes sense on paper. But I feel like it mocks my pain, right? I don't feel excited to go to funerals. In fact, I started going them way too young. The first funeral I can remember, I was five years old, and it was a cold day in March. And I sat on the front row of a funeral home between my mom and my dad. And there was a little coffin in front of us. And it was my baby brother. You see, he was born three months early. And while we have a lot of good advances in medicine today, he didn't have that. And his little lungs just never fully developed. He was in and out of the hospital for eight months. And they finally gave out. And there we sat. And the two pieces that I remember from that day was that we sat in the front row and the funeral director after the service came up to see if the family wanted to stop by first and go on out and lead the procession. But I didn't want to go first. I said, can we be the last one to say goodbye? 
And my parents said, okay. And the other memory is when we got to the graveside, I remember my kindergarten teacher was there. And she came up to give me a big hug. And I could just remember her bright painted fingernails, red. That's the image I have. But after all that was over and the people left, and for weeks we were eating food given to us by generous church friends. But then it was just the three of us again. And we got a phone call saying, the headstone is ready. It was time to go out to the cemetery and see they had printed his name, those little dates there, and set the headstone over where he was buried. So we went out, and my parents brought flowers, as you do. And they were making sure it looked really nice and kind of making sure it was everything they had chosen. And I was looking around like, oh, I didn't bring flowers. I was, I was looking around, and there was no wildflowers around to pick. But there was a little pond nearby where he's buried, and there were some ducks floating. I went down there to play around the pond, and then I saw it. There was these pine trees planted by the pond. And when I looked on the ground, there was all this pine straw and pine cones. I was looking around at him. I thought, these are kind of cool. So I grabbed one, and I ran back up to his little headstone, and I set it there right before we left. That was my little hello to Brett. And it just so happened that every time we'd go back, and my parents would bring flowers, and I would look around for that pine cone, my little gift. And I kind of thought that no one saw me as children often think that they're not noticed. But my parents, they noticed. And sometimes my dad would say, did you find a good one? And then, ever since then, they've kind of gotten in on the act. So last month, when my parents were in Arizona, they brought back the two top ones. And they said, hey, we brought you some pine cones from Arizona. And then my brother Scott, he was born after Brett had passed away. So he didn't even know him. And he never even saw me do this. I didn't even notice this was a thing that he observed about me, but he knew I liked pine cones. And so the bottom three are from him. He goes hiking on trails now, and now he finds the perfect pine cone to bring to me. And he and my sister-in-law even found this necklace for me at Christmas, a pine cone. So here it was, a thing that I used to give in honor of my brother, and now my family gives to me. And it's just this little symbol that connects us, that brings us together, reminds us of each other's love. And it didn't happen at a party. It happened at a funeral. So as much as I still don't agree with the first verses, maybe good things can happen because of funerals. I've seen relationships restored because people decide that life is short and let's put aside our arguments. At funerals, I've watched people pray for the first time in years because they realize they have nothing left that's certain in this life. So they turn to God. And at funerals, I've seen people take up new causes and fight harder because they turn their grief into something positive. And it really dawned on me that if death is a destiny of everyone, as we take this to heart, I want to remember that every day, every week when we take communion, we're reminded that we live in light of death. But Jesus' death is the one that gives us hope that there's life after death. And we might have grown up hearing that, but hopefully there's times where that becomes very realistic in our lives. 
that we realize nothing is guaranteed, nothing is certain except for God's hope. So I brought you guys a little gift today. Since I have a habit of collecting pine cones for 35 years now, Kaylin helped me pick some out this week, and I put them in some bowls by the door. So I want you to take a pine cone with you because I like object lessons. But I want you to think about what the meaning is for you, something from today's message. Maybe it can remind you that life is short. So what are you going to fight for? How are you going to serve more? Where are you going to go and spend time with people? Maybe it reminds you of someone you need to show grace to, someone that you need to repair your relationship. Maybe it reminds you of someone else who is grieving, and you can go and use this as encouragement this week. Maybe it's a reminder that you need to make the first move and offer a story to someone, your story. Share your heart with someone else to give them hope. Maybe someone has never heard about Jesus and they don't know that there is life after death. Perhaps this pine cone can remind you to pray for that person and to find ways to share the love of Jesus with them in the coming days and months. Truly nothing is certain in life except for the one who made it. And you know what? God is a good God. And he showed up at funerals and parties. And he does have a purpose, no matter how short our life is on this earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being our hope. We thank you that even when we come across passages that are kind of sad to think about. Funerals are never something we anticipate. We try to prevent it as much as possible, God, but it's part of life on earth. And as we live here under the sun, help us to lean on you in our grief. Help us to find the meaning in our crooked paths, God. Guide us and lead us this week toward stronger relationships with you and with one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.